Hi, this is Randall Schwartz, host of Floss Weekly. This week, Dan Lynch joins me to talk with Gilad Braca about Newspeak, a language that's based on small talk that's going to do some really cool revolutionary stuff. You'll want to hear about this, so stay tuned. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Dan Lynch. Episode 159 for March 30th, 2011. Newspeak. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show with free Libre open source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz, Merlin at Stonehenge.com, bringing you weekly, or as often as I can get to the big mic here, whatever we want to talk about in terms of the open source community, the open source projects that are interesting, the open source people, the legends, the, the newbies, the everything we can in between. It's going to, it's a fun show to do, and I'm glad I get to bring it to you every week. And as I also have every week, nearly every week anyway, I have a co-host this week again, it's Dan Lynch. Dan, welcome back to the show. Hi, good to be here. Great to be back. Yes, Dan. Dan with a new watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Just, actually got here really early today. I think I think we we we, we talked about this earlier, but I was here yeah. like almost two hours early because I really didn't want to didn't want to make a mistake last time. So yeah, I think and, we've got that covered now. And then at exactly an hour early, I actually pinged you and said, "Are you about ready yeah, to freak you out?" <laughs> I'm yeah, you caught me out with that. I was quite, I was quite worried. Um, I started to think, <laughs> think you'd got, I think I'd got the wrong time again when you, when you did that. But uh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm certain I've got it all right now. Our clocks have now changed in the UK, so I'm back to eight hours difference again. So I know where I am. And for those of you watching on the video, I am once again at my new LA client, Media Temple. So this is not just some random kitchen. This is actually a conference room. And uh, they are graciously providing uh, a uh, place for me to record the show when I'm here on site. Uh, when I'm back in Portland, I'll be recording with my Blue Yeti. But these guys got me this really interesting Shure mic. And it has an XLR mm -hmm. connector. So they just had to get out and get me a USB connection. So if I sound a little different and occasionally echoey and stuff, it's because I'm still trying to figure out how to use this new mic. So that's what that big, giant black thing is poking into my left of my side of my... Um, screen there. Uh, so thanks to Media Temple for uh, giving me uh, bandwidth and a place to do all the show. So we have a really great uh, show today. Uh, I've known this guy or known of his work for a long time. Um, I'm not sure if I've met him or not. I think I met him at one of the uh, small talk conferences. Uh, Gilad Braca, who's uh, big in the small talk community, um, is uh, working on a new language called Newspeak, which is derived from small talk in that it sort of looks like small talk in terms of the syntax. But it also has uh, features about security and about modularity, being able to compile it in separate sections. It looks like it's going to be really interesting. So I think we're going to uh, have a, and unfortunately, you know, just, just telling you flat out as we're going into this, I'm going to get a little geeky in this show. I already know because I love small talk and I think it's a great thing and I think I want more people to know about it. So I'm, I have a feeling I'm probably going to get into some pretty heavy, deep questions. But maybe, Dan, you can rescue me by kind of asking <laughs> normal questions after I get done. Yeah, okay? I can ask. I can ask the, the stupid questions. Don't worry. Not not stupid questions. As, as the old <laughs> saying goes, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Uh, only one that you haven't asked. Although that's not quite the saying. I've made that up. But there we go. Um, yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to hear more about it. It's. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be educational and fun. Yeah, and one of the things I appreciate about you, Dan, is that you're really a proxy for our most of our audience. You know, when I get really geeky about mm. something, you kind of bring it back to, yeah, but you know, what <laughs> distro does it run on? And, and how do I download it? You know, I, I forget about yeah. that kind of stuff because I'm not that kind of geeky. I'm more the, the programmer deep geeky. So I'm glad you're along on this particular <laughs> ride. So I think you'll be mm -hmm. able to uh, balance out my questions pretty well. Yeah, I'm always ready with any any high tech questions such as what's your favorite color? Um, <laughs> you know, things like that. I'm always happy to, to jump in with those. All right, great, great. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our guest. Hi there, Randy. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And where are we speaking to you from? Uh, I'm actually sitting in my study at, ho at home uh, right now because uh, there's less chance of my getting disturbed in the middle of this than if I actually went to work bright and early. And in what city are you in? Los Altos, California. Oh, very good, very good. So you're sort of halfway in between me and L.A. and uh, the Twit Cottage, which is just north of you. So now that we've done the small talk about, not about small talk, <laughs> I, um, I did a pretty poor uh, introduction, introduction to what Newspeak's all about at the beginning of the show. But uh, let's start by just sort of giving the 30,000-foot the view of uh, what's Newspeak and what's your involvement with it. 
Okay, Newspeak is a programming language and, uh, and more than that, a platform uh, that uh, I designed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's descended from Smalltalk, and I guess it's, it's focused on a few issues that I felt that despite Smalltalk's many strengths, it wasn't addressing well. And those are mainly modularity, security, and interoperability with the rest of the world outside Smalltalk. Now, we've already uh, chatted with uh, um, uh, Dan. Oh, now I'm going to be really mad if I don't remember his last name. Ingles? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, Dan Ingles. Oh, he's going to hate me for that. I, I just drew a blank. Not enough caffeine yet. Uh, we spoke with Dan Ingles and got some of the early history of Smalltalk, but uh, just for people that are listening to this show for, for fresh, what's, where did Smalltalk come from, and where is it now, and why are you taking new speaks or standing on that in the next generation? What's, what's missing in Smalltalk that makes you want to do this? Okay, so Smalltalk was uh, the programming language designed at Xerox Park, actually one of several, but the that's the one that, for example, they showed a demo of to Steve Jobs, and, and he understood what a computer could really do based on that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the same time frame, the 70s till 1980, where pretty much they invented much of modern computing, right? Uh, GUIs, uh, Ethernet, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and so its problem has generally been that it was way ahead of its time, and so its time has never quite come because it's different than what most people are used to in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just uh, something of a liability. It's had some weaknesses, which I'm trying to address, uh, which may account, you know, why, why it never really caught on in a big way. One of its weaknesses is that it's not very good at playing with the rest of the world. It's sort of a, traditionally been a world unto its own, which is part of the history because there was no real rest of the world when they started on this. This thing ran on, on, on the first personal computers, on the Alto, uh, before there were standards, long before Windows or even Macs and so forth. Uh, so that tends to be a problem. Uh, another problem is modularity, and another problem is security because it comes from, again, long before people were aware of viruses and Trojan horses and all these problems, uh, its goal was different. Its goal was to actually be a very open system that anyone could modify, anyone could, could play with, and that, that's why it has these very powerful reflective facilities. Uh, the problem is that it's an actually ugly, nasty world out there, and, and that doesn't mesh well with security. So these are the points that I've tried to address while preserving what's really cool about it, which is this enormous flexibility and power you get to, to modify anything and, and the, the cleanliness of it all, a really, a really beautiful system. Okay, and just to really address that, in, that point about small talk, and since I do happen to be a small talk expert, um, the, 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 in small talk, you can load a chunk of code in, and it has access to the entire system all the way down to the VM level, in that uh, you know, any piece of small talk code that you load could patch what object does, the sort of the top level class, could actually uh -huh. make it do something different depending on you know, how, how I want to do it. So there's no modularity at all in the traditional small talk system, although I, I'm sure there's, haven't there been commercial small talks that have tried to address this modularity issue? Uh, yes, there have. There have been uh, so so most small, not all small talks would let you quite get into the VM level that easily as say Dan system, which is Squeak does, which mm -hmm. is probably the most flexible in that respect. There are several commercial small talk systems, uh, but they uh, they do have so well what they term solutions to modularity. I I uh, I have rather higher standards for what modularity means, mm -hmm. and in any case, your ability to go and mess with things in the system, such as object, is really not inhibited by, by those schemes. What, what they, those schemes let you do is, is package those changes so that you can you know, decide to, to separate them and, and, and uh, distribute them separately. But the fact is that you can still go and mess with stuff uh, in, in very sort of uh, the mother of all monkey patching, I guess you could call mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and that, and that leads to issues about possibly, you know, like, we've, and I'll, you also have complications, like if, if uh, one piece of code that I load legitimately wants to add certain methods to object or a fairly important class, and then another thing that I bring in wants to also add methods to object or a very important class, and they conflict, then we right. have an image that won't work because those two things are all really ultimately in the same monolithic image. Is this also right. something that uh, Newspeak was uh, trying to address? Uh, to some extent, yes. Now, reality and, and, uh, and goals still differ here because we're still running on Squeak Smalltalk, so everything can be undermined by going out into the Squeak system. Uh, but the idea is that, the, that we have a, a really powerful concept of modularity at the language level, which, uh, among others, 
things lets us control who can do what to whom. And that's probably, you know, at this point, I, I, I don't think I should get into the details of that. Maybe, you know, a little while later as we discuss reflective APIs and structures and how things are done. But uh, yes, that is something we're trying to address. Very cool, very cool. Um, now, where are you in the project at this point? Uh, I know that you had some releases, I think a couple of years ago, or at least some talk about releases a couple of years ago, or maybe just talking about it, I'm not quite sure, but where, where is it in the cycle of things? Okay, so maybe I'll just give you a quick history of the project, and yeah. uh, that, that'll, so, so the project started out in late 2006, uh, at Cadence, uh, mm -hmm. and the the actual goal there was to uh, to build a, a product for you know computer aided design. Uh, you know that's that's what Cadence largely does, and uh, somehow we got someone who was enlightened enough to actually say, well, we can we can be more productive and use you know some some non mainstream technology, which is very unusual and a great opportunity, and we we set out to to you know, improve small talk, as it were, which is a very ambitious thing, because small talk's fabulous, really, but to address those issues that I've alluded to. Mm -hmm. And so that ran till late 2008, when the world sort of almost came to an end. And uh, in the ensuing financial panic, uh, Cadence was in not great shape, uh, putting it very mildly. And they basically shut down anything that smacked of advanced development research. We were an incubation, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though we, we, were, we, were, we had customers and things, basically it was very early stage. And the bottom line for them was we weren't bringing in as much money as we cost at that point. Uh, so uh, they, they really had no, no resources to spare. They shut down their research lab. They shut down all their incubation. They didn't think you know, very far ahead, frankly. Uh, and so uh, the project as a, as a funded commercial thing ended at that point. Uh, shortly thereafter, we did our, our first release as open source. Fortunately, we had, uh, we had the foresight to get it open sourced. And uh, we did another release. We did a, a couple of interim releases. And, uh, and the last one was about a year later in uh, February 2010. And I wanted to do another one, but uh, it's it hasn't happened yet uh, for a variety of reasons. We've done a lot of work since, but getting this into a stable version that that uh, you know I feel people can just go and use uh, for a new release uh, hasn't happened because all these changes have actually destabilized the system somewhat. So we're at this point we're an open source project with a very small number of volunteers. Usually they're like students and stuff who are doing thesis work, uh, academic work uh, that that can be done nicely in Newspeak and, and pushes the state of the art in, in some of these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know we're uh, yeah we're in the afterlife as it were. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so you actually are looking for more collaborators, more people to bring in, and 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 and, and sort of um, uh, have uh, what mostly an academic background, or, or I mean, I'm I'm a street trained programmer, so would I be of any value to you? I'm I'm sure you'd be of enormous value. Uh, I I don't <laughs> care if they're you know academically academic training is a double edged sword. Uh, you know, I've been unlearning what I learned in my you know PhD studies for the past uh, eighteen or twenty years. Uh, and and eventually I might get somewhere, so <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have people who are uh, who have uh, you know practical skills that complements nicely the the sort of research and programming language skills. The main thing I'm looking for is people with an open mind, right? People who do not expect everything to be exactly the same as they're used to. And I, and that's one of the things we notice as I'm trying to introduce small talk to people is like it's just. As elegant as I see it being, uh, and, and, as, and as practical actually as I see it being now with things like Seaside and, and uh, you know Squeak being multi-platform and actually many uh, implementations understanding Seaside and, and things like that, it seems that um, it's so different for people who are used to C and C++ and Java, you know, the, the, the constraints that those languages provide, they kind of look at Smalltalk like, that's just running around playing in a field, you know, I, I want to bring out my tools and actually construct a building. You, you're telling me just go play in the field and it just works. And I go, well, no, that's part of the advantage of it. So you're, you're having the same sort of uh, uphill grind a little bit with Newspeak then, right? Oh, absolutely. So uh, part of this is just, um, you know, I, I, I take this a view of learning as brain damage. 
Uh, once you learn a, a certain style, a certain pattern, you're much less open to, to other solutions to, that overlap with it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, because people are so used to everything, right, the syntax, the, the conventions in, in, in the mainstream, uh, they have a, a very hard time uh, doing things in a way that's different, even if that way is, frankly, way better. Uh, so, yes, that, that's a, a huge uphill struggle and perhaps a, a sort of a pointless one. Uh, but uh, to me, the, the idea of, of Newspeak is to do things right. And so I've, I've considered, you know, selling out and compromising. And what if I did a version that had sort of mainstream syntax and stuff? And, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, at this point, I'm not inclined to do that. And uh, I'm looking for people who don't, who are willing to learn something new. Interesting. And, uh, it's, it's a competitive advantage, really, in some sense, that people don't, that, that it isn't widely used. Because if you're willing to use it, and if you have the freedom to use it, which is sometimes hard, obviously, if you're in a bigger company or something. But if you can use it, you can actually be so much more productive that it's it's a big advantage. So uh, I know that some of our audience probably isn't familiar with Smalltalk, but uh, I'm going to have to presume you know a certain degree of this in order to continue the conversation here. So, given if I already know Smalltalk or at least have a dabbling in it, what how's Newspeak going to look different to me? Well, it's going to look different in. If you look at individual like snippets of code, not much will look different. Uh, the syntax is quite similar. Uh, we could go into, into details what's different, but it's fairly minor. Mm -hmm. What's different is um, you're going to have to, to think about uh, classes nesting because that's, that's a big part of how the system differs and how it works and what gives it its power. Mm -hmm. uh, classes actually have a syntax, so you can put a new speak class in a file and it isn't uh, just a file out, for those who know what that is in Smalltalk. Mm -hmm. uh, it, is, it is an actual piece of syntax that, that more like a conventional class declaration, say, in Java, though syntactically it's a little different. In fact, uh, the overall structure isn't that different. What's different is really the expressions which are Smalltalky inside the methods and so forth. Uh, so at, at, at a cursory glance, you see something that looks vaguely familiar like a class, and then you look inside it and it becomes increasingly unfamiliar unless you're a small talker, in which case it's just exactly the other way around. <laughs> I guess that's the greatest way to put it, at least for now. Um, yeah. One of the things I remember is, and I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed that I haven't really been following this project as close as I should, especially before this show, um, but one of the things I remember when I saw it was that uh, when a class was compiled, it was handed like the world it lived in, like uh, what the globals were, what kinds of other parts of the system it could access and so on. And this was part of your security aspect of it. Can you go into what that's about? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, that's roughly accurate and I'll, I'll make it more accurate <laughs> as, I, as I explain. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, the idea, one of the really unusual things about Newspeak is that there's no global namespace. So there are no globals as such. Uh, a top-level class basically doesn't have a surrounding scope. It's 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 completely independent of of the rest of the world, hmm. and that means that all the names in the class have to come from the class itself. They have to be declared in the class. They, well, technically, they have to be members of the class. Let's put it that way. Now, hmm. the only way they can be that is either you declared them, or uh, you know. Uh, they could be inherited from object, basically. Implicitly, there's, there's object is the superclass, uh, and so there are a few, the class object in, again, unlike Smalltalk, is very small and doesn't have zillions of methods, but mm -hmm. it does have a few things, uh, and that's where all the names come, come from. So this raises the question, well, you know, how do I talk to the rest of the world? And the idea is that every class has a factory method, or possibly several, but let's keep it simple. You have a factory method, and the only way you're going to connect uh, an instance of this class to the rest of the world is going to be by providing arguments to that factory method. Uh, and one, very typically, not always, but in most cases, uh, one of those arguments, or perhaps the only one, would be a platform argument, an object that reifies the entire platform. It's going to represent you know, all the stuff that the standard platform might give you, like collections libraries, streams library, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you'll take that object and you'll call, say, collections on it. And that call would return you a collections library, an object representing a collections library. And you'd call something like uh, list or map or something on that, and you'd get the map class. And then you could use it. 
And so you and what you typically do as an idiom is in the factory method in the in essentially in the instance initializer, you're going to take this platform parameter, ask it for the things you need for this particular class, and store them in in instance variables of the class, and those will then be available to to the rest of the code in the class, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so th this this works very well not only for security. It wasn't primarily motivated by security; it just happens to work for that. It was motivated by modularity. Because now uh, these top-level classes, they can be compiled independently, regardless of you know you don't need any any other code around. Uh, they can be loaded in any order because they really don't depend on anything else. And it's when you actually want to build a, a working application that you have to to wire them together, sort of like a make file, if you will. You have to to specify how they're going to be connected to each other, and we can detail how that works. So it's all a little different, but it means that all the stuff that you depend on is going to be listed in that instance initializer explicitly as, you know, here I'm getting this class from the platform or I'm getting this argument that represents some other third-party library that isn't part of the platform but needs to be a parameter so, so that I can get at it. And you look at a top-level Newspeak class and you know exactly what it uses, what it depends on from the outside world, which is very, very different from Smalltalk where it's, frankly, you know, spaghetti. You, you, it's really, really hard to track down what 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 the uh, interconnections between all the pieces of the code are yeah right now as an example uh, every class that you compile in standard smalltalk has access to the the smalltalk dictionary which is really sort of the top level global namespace so if i right. use say uh an array class when I, if i have the, the array class name in a method it's really referring to the array element of the smalltalk global dictionary so you're saying you've eliminated right. that by having a parameter you pass in that says, here's your world, and go find right. array class within that, right? Right, and, and what that gives you, uh, you know, the difference is that now it is the, the configuration that's external to the, to the class that decides what that class can see. Because the class can say, okay, I'd like to get, say, two files. I want to write to files, and I want to get to the files library. But uh, it's up to it, it doesn't do that implicitly. It has to actually get a parameter that gives it access to that. So say in a setting where you do not want code to write to the file system, you mm -hmm. can give it a platform object that doesn't have an accessor that'll get it to the files module. Or you can give it an accessor that gives it read-only access to the files, or you know, or that warns you that they're trying to do that, or you know, when they shouldn't, and so forth. So you can you can, by controlling what the incoming parameters to the class factory are, you can institute what's known as object capability-based security. You can restrict access by simply not providing the, the objects that have the power to do things you don't want that code to do. Sounds like it'd also be useful in testing, because I know one of the hardest things I have when I'm testing is to keep this thing that normally wants to write directly to the file system from writing to the file system. So it sounds like if I could compile my class in a, in a test framework and say, when you're trying to write to the file, you're really going to write to my data structure so I can see if what you were writing. It sounds like it'd be great for that. Right, right. And we actually have, uh, you know, the, I, the ID supports uh, a, a very nice uh, unit testing framework that isn't descended. The, the, the release actually has a thing called NSUnit that is a variant, uh, a Newspeak variant of SUnit. But mm -hmm. uh, we've d since then done something nicer called Minitest, which uh, really uh, is, is a, lot, a lot simpler and, and takes advantage of the hierarchical structure of Newspeak programs to, uh, to do that. And yes, you, you basically, part of that is you specify a configuration for how you want to, to hook up those, those, those modules that you want to test. And you can give them, you know, objects that are mock objects. It's, it's very natural. You, don't have, you never have to change anything in your original code. And even if you have zero experience and you're a new developer, you cannot screw this up. Because you can never actually tie yourself to, to a specific dependency. Hmm. So um, just to kind of uh, back up a little bit from the from the technical stuff, I have to confess I'm not a small talk expert, unlike Randall, who, who is. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. This must be something you get asked quite a lot, but um, there's a lot of people who complain about the proliferation of, well, of everything, really, from software licenses to programming languages and things like that. So how do you deal with people saying to you, why do we need this language? And, you know, isn't it just, wouldn't it be better to put this work into another existing language? What, what's your answer to that kind of thing? Uh, well, my answer is that uh, 
you know, some things aren't fixable in existing languages. These are very fundamental mm. properties. And, you know, if you're satisfied with the kind of software development that you have, if you really think that's, that's the way it should be and that's as good as it can be, then you deserve what you're, what you're using and stick with it. Uh, I'm not mm. there to, to, uh, to force anyone to do anything. If you realize how, how truly unnecessarily complicated and broken it is, because you get this hodgepodge of, of, of um, sort of improvisations trying to get around these problems. So the complexity isn't, the, you know, adding, introducing a new language doesn't make your life more complex if that language itself is very simple. What makes your life complex mm. is finding this problem that, for example, in large-scale software development, you find that something like uh, static calls or constructors or whatever hook you up, tie you and hardwire your dependencies to something, and then you have to undo them. And saying, oh, now I need to know about dependency injection frameworks. And now I need to know about OSGI. And, and the amount of mm. complexity using the mainstream, because the fundamental concepts are frankly broken, that's where the problem comes from. Uh, Newspeak is ridiculously simple. And uh, mm. yes, sometimes you have to start from the ground up. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's the old, um, you know, you can't make a, an omelette without breaking some eggs kind of uh, metaphor, I suppose. Um, I, I'm curious about the, um, the, the kind of the, the, the goals of the project and so on, though. Is it, um, is, is it meant to be a practical real-world uh, language to be used, or is it more of a kind of an academic learning uh, framework or, or something like that? Okay, so it was meant and still is meant to some extent to be a very practical thing to be used. Remember, the, the development of this was done in the context of an incubation that had a product to deliver. And we had to, you know, deliver stuff to, to actual customers for early access and stuff. And mm. we had real programmers who were, um, several of whom were, had never seen Smalltalk before, let alone this language that hadn't existed. And we, we had to produce something that they could use. And in particular, we couldn't tell them, you know what, give me two years, I'll come up with something really nice. Uh, basically, that, that was one of the reasons it was good to start with, with, we're based on Squeak, because we had to start with something that at least had some, some conceptual relationship to what we were trying to do. And what we did is we gradually moved them from one dialect of Newspeak that was sort of fixed some, some small talk issues to another, we started out with a thing called NS0 and then NS1 and then NS2 is what's in the release. And we've got NS3, which we haven't released yet, which, again, is, is largely a lot like NS2. Most of the key concepts are there. But again, getting it to comply with a spec, you know, various uh, shortcuts that were taken so that we could get things out the door, uh, it's, it's more compliant and, and closer to, to the ideal that we had. But definitely, we spend an enormous amount of effort on engineering tasks that, that we wouldn't if this was a, an academic exercise, right? Uh, we have an IDE, we have testing frameworks, we have uh, foreign function interfaces, we have a new reflect. We have a lot of, it, it's, that's why I said it's not just a language, it's a platform. Doing a language would be easy. Uh, you know, you just do a thing, a batch compiler, it takes a file, it spits out a file, and you're done. Uh, the bar mm. in the small talk world tends to be higher. You expect a lot of facilities. And, if you know what you're doing, you can really use this for, for real stuff. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, well, you're going to use something standard and God help you anyway. <laughs> so um, I, something I, I was curious about is um, the kind of the simplicity of the language and the syntax. Do you think it would be possible to teach uh, children newspeak in the way that they might be, you may be able to teach them small talk? Is that possible, do you think? Uh, sure, you can teach children almost anything. Uh, now. I'd say that the focus in Newspeak, because it's more about software engineering issues, that's the difference from Smalltalk, right? These are not mm. issues that will speak to children, right? So uh, right. You, could, you, know, you would naturally teach them something like Smalltalk, which is what Smalltalk was really originally designed to do, and maybe one of the reasons it doesn't address these issues. Uh, if, they knew small, if you know Smalltalk, the transition isn't that hard. Uh, you have to unlearn a few habits, but children are much better at that than adults. So, you mm. know, if you... You know, in, in my son's high school, they have a Java class for whatever reason. Uh, I figure that by the time they're willing to expose uh, kids to something like Java, the, you know, it would have better, been better to teach them small talk at a younger age and then say, okay, now you need to, to know about, you know, complications and discipline and so forth in, in the later years. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested, to be honest, in, in that aspect. That's, that's been a big, big part of the small talk culture. But mm. this is about uh, commercial software engineering. 
Right. Well, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm curious about what, um, what I need to, to kind of get started with this. So coming out, approaching this as a person who maybe doesn't know small talk very well, um, or at all, in fact, uh, do I need to know small talk in order to learn Newspeak? Or could I just start with Newspeak and learn from there? Would, would you yeah, think you, you need you, an understanding? I, I think you, you can certainly uh, start directly with Newspeak. Uh, no, we have a, you know, if you download the release, there is a, a, a tutorial of sorts. It's probably not quite adequate. It probably still has implicit assumptions about small talk knowledge in there. Uh, even mm. though, you know, it guide, there's a guide to the syntax and so forth. It may not be enough. Uh, it really helps to know small talk, but it's certainly not essential, right? It's like any other. My, my view is that a competent professional should be able to pick up any programming language given, you know, a, a half-decent description. And it's largely a matter of motivation. And, you know, uh, I, I could try and put uh, thousands of programmers at gunpoint and make them learn it, but I, I don't have the ammunition. So uh, <laughs> I try persuasion. It doesn't seem to work quite as well, but that's the way we're going. So, yeah, you certainly you download it and you try. We have a forum. Uh, because we have, frankly, mm. so few people, you know, we'll, we're, we're good at answering questions. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it takes a while, right? I think it does take a while. If, if you, you've been poisoned by the mainstream, it'll take, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, a, it's a step definitely to, to learn something that different. But uh, you'll find, once you, once you really grok it, you'll find that it really can do a lot with very little mechanism. It's, it's really simple. Mm. So you mentioned that um, you can download it and try it and all that kind of stuff. So it runs on top of Squeak, and uh, I know Squeak is cross-platform. So uh, do I need to install Squeak first and then get uh, new no. Squeak as well or, or anything no, else? No, no, you don't. And in fact, it won't even help you. It may hinder you uh, because uh, mm. for various reasons, we've made a few small changes to the Squeak VM. Uh, small but fairly crucial to to uh, make uh, you know our method lookup is a little different and and it's fairly critical that this is done well otherwise you know you hit really bad performance problems and such and so mm. the download will, will comes complete with with the appropriate VM and if you have Squeak installed it may just uh, you may you might occasionally people complain about the install that you know uh, it, it tries to open an image with a Squeak VM instead and gets that doesn't run and so forth so you're actually better off the less squeak is involved, uh, you know, you just, uh, the, the, the download is self-contained. Mm. Okay, and it, and it will run on um, any kind of Linux, Unix type system or Windows, presumably? Um, it'll run on Windows, it'll run on Macs, it'll run on Linux now. Any kind of Linux, mm. you know, I'll never swear to that. There's no, <laughs> there's an infinite number of them. Uh, I believe people have... Uh, I've been fine with the major Linuxes, uh, Red Hat, Ubuntu. I, I, I can't track mm. them all. But in theory, you know, it definitely is runs on Linux, but your Linux may differ. Yeah, of course. Well, as you say, there's so many, so many flavors out there. It could be, uh, could be almost anything. Um, so I'm curious about the kind of, um, and I hope Randall will forgive me for this, but the, the, the comparisons to Java in some ways. I know uh, he's not a huge fan of Java, uh, but um, I, I'm worried, wondering if this would ever replace something like, like Java in the future. Do you think that's possible? Uh, well, okay, so I've, I've, uh, I, I don't know uh, how much you guys are aware, but I've had a fair amount of involvement with Java. Mm. And uh, I worked at Sun and, and was responsible for the Java language specs. So I, I know its flaws ah. better than anyone, uh, I dare say, <laughs> because uh, what, what my job involved basically, uh, you know, I was sort of at the morgue and they delivered the dead bodies to me, you know, whenever there was a, wow. a, a, one of these language platform issues that, that people were complaining about, uh, you know, it, it very often ended at my desk, which... Uh, so, you know, familiarity breeds contempt to some degree because you, you only hear about the bad things. No one, no one writes to tell you how good it is. Uh, well, that's not true. Mm. Occasionally people do, but, but you get far more complaints. So, you know, technically, could it replace Java? Of course, it's much better. Uh, but, you know, in, in, with, with uh, caveats, you know, you'll never get quite the same performance. I mean, currently you won't get anywhere near the performance because Squeak is not a very fast implementation. Uh, but mm. the upper bound, I think, on performance on a system like this is probably well engineered. Is still a good way off from Java. Probably sixty, seventy percent of Java speed if you if you really engineered a VM for it with with a lot more resources than we we are ever likely to have. So as a practical mm. matter, do I expect to take over the world? Sadly, no. 
you know, you asked what the goals of the project were. Of course, they were mm. to make me rich and famous. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not necessarily, it's good to have goals, but they're not necessarily attainable. I don't kid myself that this is likely to take over the world anytime soon. Uh, and I think that one mm. of the problems Java created for programming language designers was this expectation of, you know, whatever I do, I should take over the world. Uh, I think mm. in that respect, my attitude is I'd love it to take over the world, uh, but I just, I want it to have enough of a base that it exists and I, in, in enough so that when I need to program, I can use it. And, mm. uh, and I don't have to, to, I can avoid dealing with the nastiness of the mainstream. And mm. uh, the ideas, the ideas inspire things. So that's a bit of a more academic attitude, right? The ideas do uh, eventually have an impact. Uh, to some extent, Smalltalk's ideas had a big impact on Java, not nearly enough. I like to say everything good in Java comes from Smalltalk, everything bad in it comes from C++. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it, it is this kind of, of balance, and you can argue whether the balance should have been different, but it's likely that the balance was just perfect in order to get adoption. And uh, obviously, Newspeak is not balanced to get adoption. Newspeak is balanced to do the right thing, uh, which mm. is very different from adoption. Hmm. Sounds very cool. I, I didn't, um, I have to confess, I didn't know your relationship to Java, so I uh, apologize for that. But I, I was just uh, mentioning to Randall that, uh, speaking of rich and famous, I noticed that uh, James Gosling has just started a new job at uh, Google this week. I'm not sure what he's going to be doing there, but uh, obviously another, mm -hmm. another uh, Java guy. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, could you run, um, could you run uh, Newspeak in a browser? What kind of things would I use it for, um, you know, pr practically, I suppose? Say I, I want to develop something in Newspeak? What sort of things do people use it for? Okay, so uh, could you run it in a browser as a practical matter? Not yet, but very, very close uh, as a theoretical matter, of course. And that, frankly, was one of my goals almost from, from day one, right? Because when this started in 2006, by that point, it was clear that, that the browser were where things were happening. And that ideally, you know, my view is that JavaScript should be you know, uh, treated as an assembly language. It's not a good assembly language, but it's what we're stuck with. Mm. And uh, so the problem was, of course, that Cadence had different priorities, right? If, if I was doing this, if, if, uh, if some charitable billionaire had decided to just give me a pile of money and do this, then we would have focused on the browser right away. Uh, at Cadence, this was far outside their range of interests, and so we... we worked a lot on, for instance, on Windows, for example, the, the native Windows GUI and such. Uh, but we have done uh, some work uh, in the open source world on a new speak to JavaScript compiler, and we've mm. done some more work on it at SAP. And one of the exercises I still have to go through is, again, get SAP to license the changes that we've made so that we can actually put them out for people. Uh, mm. We basically have a working new speak to JavaScript compiler. And, uh, but we don't have the entire platform, so we don't have uh, the same GUI. One of our goals was that you would write an application and you wouldn't care if it was going to the browser or if it was going to, to somewhere else, right? The same app could, could run completely on the client in the browser or it could run on Windows or Mac or whatever and it would essentially, you know, really do what, what Java failed to do, which is write once, run anywhere. And mm -hmm. uh, I think there's, that's, I still believe that's doable, but it's a fair amount of work to do the GUI, to do some of the fancy reflective stuff. Uh, JavaScript makes a lot of this incredibly painful. And right now, we just have the, the basic compiler. So you could write an application that called the DOM, right? We have a, a way of talking back and forth to, to JavaScript from Newspeak in, in, when, we, when we do this. And you could write an application, but you'd have to drive the GUI the old, you know, the crummy way with, with talking to the DOM or some API you built on top of that, much like, say, the Seaside APIs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's doable. It isn't available to the public yet. Uh, there's still, you know, a lot of engineering to be done. Performance isn't where we'd like it to be on that. Uh, we lose a, a lot of performance in this process. And, you know, we believe we'll eventually get close to native JavaScript speed, but maybe I'm kidding myself. There's still too many unknowns. We haven't until, these are things that unless you do them, you're never sure how it'll work, right? You have a theory, oh, I could do this or I could do that. And uh, it's a challenge, but we are looking into that. And I hope there will be a, because that's one of the, uh, one thing I think we're much more likely to get people to try and use it if, yeah, if they can deploy to the web directly.
Well, now that's the third small talk to Java compiler or JavaScript compiler that I've heard about. So there was the one that Dan did a couple of years ago, and I think that sort of st uh, stalled somewhere. But uh, at uh, this last uh, month's uh, STS, I heard that there was this uh, description of JTalk. Were you around for the JTalk uh, presentation? And, uh, no, what do you think I don't. Of that I, I know there's Clamato. I know there's, yeah, is it JTalk? I saw something. I've seen at least two. Uh, I don't actually realize that Dan, Dan's done Lively Kernel, which is actually a, a morphic-like thing, but it's in pure JavaScript. It isn't a small talk to JavaScript thing. He right. may have experimented with the compiler. Uh, to be honest, I've looked at, at a couple of those, and, you know, uh, they have not gone far. I mean, my goal is to make the real system work. Mm -hmm. uh, you find that they have either cheated on the semantics where it's hard to implement efficiently, so it isn't the real deal, uh, the libraries are, are very, very limited. Again, the, we want GUI. Eventually, what I'd like to do, and that's pretty ambitious, is to have the whole IDE run in a browser. And that, you know, that might require a, a, some sort of plug-in because debugging in, in JavaScript is, is actually something that's very, you know, not the right primitives. You know, debuggers are really not, uh, not at least in yeah. developer mode, right? Yeah, debug debugging is definitely going to be a problem because the... Um, that uh, you can't run multiple threads in classic JavaScript engines, so I don't know if that's uh, going to be an issue. But I, I really think you should take a look at JTalk because they do actually have the full class browser with uh, editable panes where you can actually go in and, and make oh, new sure. code I'd directly in the JavaScript browser uh, yeah. or in the in the in the web browser. So I think there's probably an overlap of stuff. They're starting with the basic. Uh, uh, they're, they're trying to be Faro compatible, so. That would be a, a, a squeak variant called Faro. Um, they're trying to be very compatible with that, all the way down to the level of objects. So the same calls on object actually call the same things coming in. I think it's going to be really uh, interesting to see where they take that. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, as I said, these things, to be, to be perfectly honest, it's great that people are doing this. They are a long way from the reality. They don't mm -hmm. have the right semantics. They do not have the full libraries. They, you know, they making a class browser that looks vaguely like a class browser is one thing. Making, you know, the, the, what what a real small talk system does is a very very different thing, right? You can get sort of the the sixty percent impression very quickly, and you find that uh, that the last ten percent is more work than all the rest because you, you start to hit the issues. Uh, if if we wanted to do that, that's 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 very easy. We're we're already beyond that point, I'd say. Uh, the challenge is to do something that really meets the, the expectations of the full experience, and that is uh, there are no shortcuts there. It's yeah, really like, like, yeah. when I show people the uh, the Smalltalk browser, and I say, and they say, "Well, it looks just like Eclipse or something," and I go, "Yeah, but can you do this?" And then I show a piece of code and refactor it, or a piece of code and go look up all the senders of this, and it's like, "Oh no, no, it doesn't do all that yet." So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So this thing in JTalk does in fact you know have the standard four panes and the big code pane below but it does nothing beyond that so i know what you're saying about it. there's still a long ways to go there um, right. i'm also curious though the the other thing i was looking at in terms of having this run in the browser perhaps is having uh, an actual embedded plugin that was the vm the, the classics uh, smalltalk vm or newspeak vm anyway and but the code you're sending down because of this packaging thing, because of this environment thing that you're pa passing as parameters, could effectively be sandboxed the same way that Java and JavaScript is sandboxed. Have you thought about that sort of an implementation? Well, obviously it can be, and it is. Uh, and, and it's sandboxed, it's much more effectively sandboxed than, than Java or JavaScript because the, the language is providing this. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's easy enough because the, the way we deploy uh, because things are so modular, it's very easy for us to identify. And again, this is a big difference from traditional small talk. It's very easy for us to identify what the code of an application is, mm -hmm. right? Whereas in small talk, it's really hard to, to decide where your application ends. And so we can very easily, essentially, we, uh, we serialize an object representing the application. And we can serialize that into a pile of JavaScript code which basically has exactly the code, the translation of the classes that you need for your application in JavaScript, and mm -hmm. that's what we send to the browser. Plus, uh, it depends. If it's an actual browser that doesn't have anything plugged in, then we have to send the platform as well. So it gets to be a fairly large... Uh, the browsers are very fast these days, but you, you need to basically provide it with, with the libraries, and, but your app gets those uh, in a, plugged in, in in its sandbox. Uh, now, if you wanted to... Uh, 
to do the, the programming environment, then you really can't do it in a standard browser because of the debugging issue. And it's not, mm -hmm. the, the threads are not as bad because every, you know, the browsers have solutions, not, not the language, but individual browsers have solutions, but it's stack access that is a real uh, pain to deal with in a, in a reasonable way in, in JavaScript. So that, I'd say that it's okay for developers that, okay, you can run in the browser so you're sure that your code is working the same way, Mm -hmm. But you probably have to run in, in a browser on your desktop where you've downloaded some extra, you know, extension or, or plugin. But we want it to work, you know, completely independently for, for that end user application. It's just a standard browser and they get a pile of JavaScript code. And yeah, that, it, that's pretty it, much working. But I, I can't release it. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. I understand. Well, you know, and that's actually, a, that's, that's, that's an important thing is that, you know, this is a... It's the core of this is an open source project that, that you started at, at a previous company that allowed you to open source all of this. And now that you're doing more development on it, it's we're going to see this more and more often, I think, uh, given the prevalence of open source and the prevalence of uh, open source going mainstream is that, you know, that people are going to add these cool features to things and then not be able to release them because of some, you know, policies and procedures at each of these uh, large organizations. So I, I applaud your effort for at least trying to keep it as close to open source as you can. That's, uh, that's well, I, really I expect cool. we will release it, right? I'll be surprised if in the end it, uh, it's, it's bureaucracy and approvals and process, but, uh, you know, I have sort of informal assurance from, from uh, our CTO and stuff that, that we want to, to stay as open as possible. And so I expect that uh, this will eventually get uh, released, but it's, uh, it takes time and effort in every incarnation to, to convince people and go through these processes. So I'm, I'm still optimistic that we will get it out. It's just that, yeah, in the, at the moment, it's, uh, it's a bit of a problem. Oops. So that's something that I'm um, sorry. I had my mic muted there, so yeah. I'm professional. Um, I have my uh, <laughs> something I'm curious about is, as Randall said, um, obviously open source is um, is becoming mainstream now, and I, I think we could have said that maybe a long time ago. It's it's becoming more and more mainstream. Is it difficult to convince these companies? I mean, you, you kind of reference that there, but is it really difficult to convince people higher up in these large corporate entities that the open source isn't going to destroy the company and all the rest of it? Well, it, it varies with the individual and with the company and with the projects, right? So generally, the people are concerned that, you know, is this going to damage the interests of the company in some way? And some people are, are paranoid and some people are not. Uh, my experience, for example, with another system I open sourced, which was StrongTalk, which was the, the system that basically was the precursor of the hotspot JVM. It was a small talk high-performance VM that we did as a startup and when we, we were acquired by Sun. And I tried to get that open sourced out of Sun for years. And mm. there was utter paranoia that somehow this would undermine Java because, yeah, well, yes, I think it was better, but it was nowhere near ready. You know, it would require a lot of engineering before it was something people could use and would pose a threat. And Despite this, it took, it took years and years to, to get out first the, the sort of small talk part of it, and then they still wouldn't release the VM, and eventually I got the VM released, and hardly anyone uses it. It's never posed a threat. Uh, would it have posed a threat if we had done it earlier? I, I would like to think so, but I doubt it, actually. Uh, usually, mm. it's, it's just paranoia, and, and that can be very frustrating. It depends on who you're talking. They want to know... And again, there's people who want to know, just put the burden on proof, show us that it won't do any damage. And there's other people who want to say, well, what good will it do us? And, and abstract mm. arguments like uh, community and appreciation and, and giving back to the stuff that you're using, you know, they sometimes work and sometimes don't. Mm. Um, so I, I was I was curious about uh, the, I know a lot of um, a lot of the work on Newspeak is licensed under keep keeping on the open source licensing theme uh, under Apache two and um, is that why what made you choose that license and is it something that you, you hope to continue to release these other bits under in future? Uh, I didn't choose it. Uh, this is something Cadence lawyers came up with. And uh, given that it's relatively harmless, you know, I chose BSD and I would have chosen MIT, uh, whatever, right? But um, there was a slight level, of, they were more comfortable with that. And, you know, rather than try and, and delay the release and, and jeopardize it and go argue with these people, we found that, yeah, Apache's fine. Uh, so uh, in some sense, it, it basically lets you do whatever you want. 
right? The thing mm. you want to avoid is is anything that smacks of GPL, right? <laughs> Even if it's yeah. lesser GPL, the words GPL are the kiss of death in industry. Uh, mm. No, no pe people will do not want to hear, discuss, reason about whether or not. Certainly the original GPL, they're absolutely right. Uh, this is not something that is of any, you know, used to you in industry. Uh, but whatever variant, no one really wants to go through the exercise of figuring it all out. Uh, it's just uh, it's just a poison pill. So that mm. certainly was as it was always out of the question. Uh, and uh, you know it would be nice if I could that that would let me force people perhaps to open source it again, but they'd never use it for anything and I never get anywhere uh, because mm. no one will no one will it's radioactive. You know, it's, it's, it's sad that we're almost out of time, but I really wanted to hit that issue that you brought up just a moment ago. Um, a lot of people don't know this about the history of the current Sun Java engine, that it actually has its roots back in Smalltalk. Can you talk about a little bit about Smalltalk and then Strongtalk and Hotspot again? Okay, so I'll give you the quick history. Even before mm -hmm. that, there's a language called Self, which I'm sure you know about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, Self is, is not Smalltalk. It's prototype-based, but it's certainly in that culture and in that vein. And all this kind of adaptive JIT technology was really developed uh, in, in, in self. Mm -hmm. And uh, StrongTalk was a project to take the self technology and apply it to Smalltalk and make it more commercially viable. And it introduced lots of engineering innovations on top of what had been done in self, uh, basically mixed mode with an interpreter and, and a compiler and such. And uh, that was a startup uh, in the mid 90s. Uh, back when, believe it or not, Smalltalk was commercially hot and, and IBM was investing in it and Wall Street was investing in it and mm -hmm. then Java came along and, and completely changed the picture and when the startup was ready to be essentially sold after two years of work, uh, the Smalltalk market for, for it had pretty much dried up but uh, we had the foresight to prepare a variant that did with, dealt with Java and that was well, way better than anything anyone else had and Sun acquired us. And then essentially the hotspot VM is sort of descended from the strong talk VM that is descended from the self VM. And so these ideas, like, like an amazing amount of ideas that people don't know the history of, a lot comes from that small talk world, whether it's refactoring or GUIs or uh, agile development or, you know, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head all of them, but uh, Smalltalk is a lovely environment because you can invent stuff because it's flexible. It's when you really try to go outside the box and do something non-standard that you hit the wall with with with, uh, with mainstream things like Java. Uh, so yeah, this is just one of many technologies that uh, come from that world that people don't realize. Yeah, so I wanted to highlight this is because I'm always talking about the fact that really everything modern that we deal with in computers in terms of object-oriented programming, the whole Windows mice interface, even now things like, you know, commercial successes like the iPad were all really sort of invented back in that uh, the, in the 1980 era and just sort of drive, driven from that. And I, I love that you have the story now about how, you know, the, the current Java VM is really uh, the self VM the, that you created with Hotspot, again, inspired by Smalltalk all the way back to the beginning. Uh, yeah, it's, the, the code base, of course, is different, but the technologies and issues are very much the same. And, you know, some of these techniques, it's typically in C++. And they're, uh, you know, usually, you know, there's only so many ways to code them. It, it looks quite similar. And some of this is now in the JavaScript VMs. Uh, in, you know, some of this is in V8. Uh, the same ideas, not all of them. But again, uh, it, it, that's why uh, Lars, who worked on, on all of these VMs, mm -hmm. Lars Bach, uh, right? That's why he went to Google to do a fast JavaScript VM because he knew how it could be done. And there were all these people who were skeptical, oh, you can't make it fast. And despite the mm. fact that the language really is designed to be incredibly difficult to, to do anything with, uh, you know, in terms of performance or engineering or whatever, but they made it fast because, again, the same kind of techniques apply. It's sort of dynamic optimizations of various kinds. Very cool, very cool. Well, we keep going on talking for another hour or two about language design, but I'm running out of time, so I just wanted to thank you for coming on today's show. Again, if you're, are you looking for people in particular with particular skill sets? Uh, because, you know, you've got the big microphone there. Can we, uh, can we ask, uh, what do you want to ask my audience for? 
Uh, money? No. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah. we, we we need people. I think uh, you know web skills are good. JavaScript kind of stuff is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, but any kind of uh, you know someone who if someone wants to do a, some people have looked at porting this to the JVM. Mm-hmm. That's also possible, but you really have to know about byte codes and invoke dynamic and all kinds of stuff. So people who are interested in languages, people who are smart and and think outside the box, web skills in particular might be really handy. Uh, Linux GUI, uh, there's occasionally people who are interested in that, even though I sort of wonder myself whether I'm fighting the last war on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, any, anyone who's interested, basically, I don't, I, I don't have the pr- feeling that I'm going to have to have a problem sorting out resumes and <laughs> rejecting. So. No. Definitely not. So they go to newspeaklanguage.org and they can find you through that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they can, you know, just search it. You know, Google will find me. It's, it's pretty easy. Very yeah, good, I think very it's good. called newspeaklanguage.org. Yeah, whatever the website is. But Newspeak Programming Language, if you search for that, you'll, you'll find it. Well, it sounds like a very fascinating thing. I'm anxious to uh, play with it. Like, I'll, like everything I bring on this show, I want to go play with it right after I get done and I never get time mm-hmm. because I have to wait till the next show before I'm busy doing something else already. Uh, but it's, it sounds interesting. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, new technology, fascinating technology. Uh, I like the idea of, of compiling it to JavaScript and everything. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes as a result of this. And maybe I'll even get like an ounce of time I can squeeze in here and there to come help you out. I think it may be a lot of fun too. So thank you again That'll for coming great. on today's show. Thank you for inviting me. Very good, Thank you. very good. That was uh, Gilad Braca, who uh, talked to us about Newspeak, his new take on small talk and on programming languages in general, and sounds like he's got a lot of ambitious things. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, really, really fascinating. I have to confess, I feel like I've just had a masterclass in, in you know, language design from, from two experts here, so I'm uh, very privileged. Um, it, it does seem really, really interesting, and I, I particularly liked your metaphor about uh, open fields and uh, as opposed to, you know, building brick <laughs> structures and so on, being a, a freedom-loving hippie, uh, that appeals to me. So uh, I may well have to look into that, yeah. Well, it's always been my impression with small talk. It's just so malleable from the top to the bottom that you, you, you kind of go, well, you know, I can... I can fix this by making an array understand the go backwards method. And, and, and the mm. thing is, you can, you can do that. And it's, 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 it's actually, you've got to restrict yourself to stuff that you think you can maintain later. I think it's probably the key. And that, it does take some discipline, that takes some time. So, uh, yeah, but it, is, mm. it does feel a bit like playing sometimes. Like I'm just kind of hacking around and, and, and now it just works. And, 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 you know, I build these objects that are smart and they talk to each other and then they start talking to each other in interesting more and more ways. Then I've got them all marching in unison and they're all delivering what I want by the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, I was also interested to hear uh, some of the background between Java and uh, the history between Java and Smalltalk. Uh, it makes me wonder why Smalltalk didn't quite, uh, you know, didn't take off as much as it should have done. Uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, the, the most important reason I know about that is that uh, at the time that Java came along, uh, the mm. two big Smalltalk vendors were charging ten thousand dollars per development seat. And mm. that's a real steep. No, a, th- a thousand, not ten thousand. Sounds wait, no. <laughs> One of those. It's one of those. Where, I know that makes a big right. difference, but it was something with a lot of zeros. Mm. And, and yeah. you know, Java was essentially free for the JDK, and so you could download this and develop using it. And and also, uh, you know, Sun had these really big, you know, two-page ads in all the big magazines saying, you know, Java write once, run anywhere, and it's easier to debug. Mm. And you know, it. Uh, I, I say, and it does make people productive. But I, I like to tell people, and I'm, I'm probably wrong. I'm going to get hate mail for this, but I think Java <laughs> makes everyone equally unproductive. I think that's really what that means. It sort of levels <laughs> the playing field for everybody. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get the hate mail. I don't care. I don't care. I hate Java. You already know that. So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So right about the time that Java was being rolled out, Smalltalk was actually being used really heavily, especially on Wall Street and stuff, because they they'd have all these you know big uh, executive trades that they were doing, and they needed to be able to adapt quickly to the market and in fact uh, the reason we got into this uh, banking crisis is because they were able to build products using this giant java or this giant small talk application that's still being used today uh, all these uh, derivative projects and, and stuff like that that created the the US housing bubble were all a giant small talk program that did that so uh, wow. so uh, but 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 java came along again sun came along had a real good promotion i wish we had simon phipps on the show because it would have been nice to talk to him about sun and the relationship with that time. Mm. i'll ask him next time he's on the show but uh, sun came along and just really you know splattered everybody and had all the you know the the people who decide uh, the managers who decide what language to pick by what 
two-page spread they read and what articles they read from Gartner about stuff and all that stuff. So, mm. and so the technical guys wanted small talk, but the managers wanted Java, and that just really sort of drove the market. And it's really sort of sad, but you know, it is coming back. There's some resurgence from small talk still. I mean, I thought last year was the big year, but I, it's still slowly growing up. Uh, there's a lot of really <laughs> cool things happening in the small talk world. I'm hoping Newspeak uh, brings more people in that needed it to be talked about in terms of being modular, in terms of security, in terms of really being flexible, developable, and deployable, because now you know exactly what part of your application needs to be downloaded. I think there's going to be a mm. lot of stuff that's going to come around like this. Uh, and when we're seeing other researches is like in the OLPC that you've got a small talk uh, squeak uh, activity. Uh, we're seeing uh, also in uh, 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 like the like Scratch, the MIT language. Again, that's all small talk all the way down. So people are playing with small mm. talk even if they don't realize it. Uh, we're getting uh, squeak applications are running on the iPad and the iPhone. There's uh, I think six different applications in the uh, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, uh, app store that already are running as a uh, squeak. So I think it's coming along. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of these, you know, quiet successes and we're going to keep mm. getting this uh, as it goes along. So it's small talk never really died. It just, it just sort of became part of the fabric. That's all. Yeah. It's like the Terminator. You can't kill it. <laughs> Basically, it keeps coming I'll back. Be back. <laughs> yes. yeah. I'll be small talking, yes. All right, so speaking of I'll be back, we're going to be back next week with uh, this. Yeah, that transition actually almost worked. I'm going to have to take <laughs> that back because I, it's supposed to be more fun when it's really just like a non-transition. So anyway, so next week, but uh, we've, it's the beginning of our Q2 schedule. We've got a lot of Q2 people in here. Uh, so we just scheduled this show a couple weeks ago. Uh, so next week I'll be talking with David Wheeler, who is a... Uh, a uh, longtime floss advocate. He's been doing a lot of uh, papers and stories about uh, open source software. And one of the things he's uh, particularly an expert in is how uh, open source software is being used at the Department of Defense. And actually, he was instrumental in writing some of the papers to make that happen. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Jason Huggins, immediately after that, you might know his name because he was the creator of Selenium, the Selenium web testing framework being used in all sorts of small and large organizations all around the world. He's going to come on and talk about that and also his project uh, Sauce Labs, which is a commercialization of Selenium. So again, have one of these ideas of, you know, here's the free thing and here's the thing, is how it's being used commercially and actually making people money. Uh, Emil Ivov, I don't know how to pronounce that, Emil Ivov, that sounds close enough, is going to talk to us about Jitsi. It's uh, formerly called the SIP communicator. It's a SIP client that lets you basically be a VoIP client on your desktop. Lots of fun there. Philip Brown, Ben Walton, uh, OpenCSW, CSW being the packaging system for Solaris. They're going to talk about this, this open repository for Solaris and Open Solaris um, uh, packages and how they're doing all that. Dustin Mitchell just added to the schedule BuildBot. It's a Python-based building platform to make sure that you can build your packages and send them out. Matthew Flat is going to talk to us about Racket. Racket, formerly called PLT Scheme. It's a training language for, uh, it's sort of an educational training language, a scheme, of course, based on Lisp. Uh, and this is PLT Scheme, and that, but it, they didn't like the name. So now they've changed it to, to Racket. It's an entirely different name. That should be fun. Uh, again, we're going to talk about, you know, programming and education and teaching kids to program. And this is all going to be on that particular show. Koshuki Kawaguchi is going to talk to us about what used to be called Hudson, now called Jenkins. Because, again, Sun uh, getting bought out by Oracle. They said, well, no, we're your own Hudson. But uh, the community said, no, we want to do what we want to with it. So they forked it and renamed it Jenkins. He's going to talk about all that mess. He's the head of the Jenkins project now. Curtis Jewell coming on, a friend of mine that I've met at a couple of Yapsi conferences. Uh, he's going to talk to us about Strawberry Pearl, which is the Pearl that runs on Windows and has full module installable capability, unlike the Windows version of Pearl that came from ActiveState, which was very a closed system. And then somewhere on the schedule, uh, I, probably off hours because he's in India and he wants to be to, to, to just have a phone call with him rather than uh, doing our normal 9.30 slot. Uh, Sitaram Chamarte, Chamarte, Ch uh, something like that. Gitto Lite. Gitto Lite is like GitHub, except it's open source. It's actually free. Uh, you may not realize this, but even though a lot of open source projects are on GitHub, GitHub itself is not open source code. So Gitto Lite does the same thing. So you could put it in your organization or build a, a, re a regional repository or something. That's going to be a lot of fun. So we've got a lot more people on the short list, still filling in a few more Q2 slots. Uh, so uh, if there's somebody that you want on the show that I haven't mentioned and isn't on the list yet already, or even if they are on the list, but they're further down the list, have the project leader email me and they go right up to the top of the list. That's how people get scheduled on the show. That's how this today's show happened. So uh, it's really simple. Just have the project leader email me and I will put them right at the top of the list. That's how I'm, 
I'm, I'm very simple that way. I'm actually very lazy that way. Uh, so uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's the best way to see where I'm doing and where I'm at. Like right now being in LA, I'm like looking for people to go hang out with for dinner and stuff. So I'll be tweeting where I'm at. Uh, that's uh, Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N on uh, Twitter and uh, also on a lot of other things as well. Um, also, if you happen to be playing the game Trade Nations, I'm looking for more trade partners. I'm Randall Schwartz, all one word in, in that particular game. Uh, I got Leo Laporte playing it, so you can play right alongside me and Leo to uh, uh, basically buy and sell wood and lumber and build little things and stuff. It's, it's like we rule, but it's a lot better. So come along and play with us on that. That's the last of my plugs for right now. Uh, Dan, your Red Hole Radio uh, thing is coming along well. How's that doing? It is, yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's one of the main things I, uh, I, I want to plug uh, today is um, the Rat Hole Radio Live event, which is a music event happening in Liverpool. So if anybody listening in uh, or watching in the UK, near enough to Liverpool, uh, wants to come along, it's the 24th, Sunday, the 24th of April, which is Easter Sunday, but, uh, you know, hopefully some people will come and celebrate Easter with us. Um, mm -hmm. We've got lots of great bands playing. Uh, we've got I Am Not Left Handed, uh, £20 Sounds, which is my band, if you want to come and see me play and uh, a great singer songwriter called rob warren and all artists who use creative commons which is a big passion of mine as well so um if you want to find out more you can go to ratholeradio.org slash gig and there's also now a, a free ep up there i made a, an ep of all the artists with a couple of songs each basically so people can mm. get an idea and try before they buy hopefully and see if they actually like the music so if, even if you can't make it to the gig go and have a listen to the ep and uh, and you might like it it's all creative commons licensed as i said so if you head to ratholeradio.org slash gig you can find me there um at the weekend I'm, I'm doing a keynote at um an event called u cubed which stands for let me get this right ubuntu upstream unconference <laughs> so u cubed there you go nice. uh which is in manchester yeah which is uh, this saturday second of second uh, of april it's going to be at mad lab in manchester so if you want to come along and see that please uh, please go and have a look if you search for u cubed online you'll you'll find it um and obviously you can keep up with uh, linux outlaws at linuxoutlaws.com and everything else i'm doing via twitter and identica and so on uh, and the username is method dan that's like the word the two words method and dan shoved together <laughs> so, so there nice. you go can, can concatenate it if you will keep it in uh, programming speak yeah don't so, try to follow um, the one with just a single d because that's somebody entirely different right i don't even is that an account <laughs> i haven't even looked is that someone different i, I should have better get that, that one well, now right? before somebody else takes it away <laughs> yeah i will do i guess somebody's probably already done that by now um yeah maybe that <laughs> could be listening. my evil twin i'll put that as my evil proprietary twin maybe and let, let me also put in a plug I, I tell you you know people ask me all the time you like randall you need more news on floss weekly and i go no i don't want to be a news show it takes a lot of work to make a news show if you want a news show about open source software go and check out linux outlaws so i'm always telling people that everywhere i meet so Mm, yeah, and we appreciate it. And we've got episode 200 coming up uh, next week. So there you go, a big milestone for us there. So you can find out more about that at linuxoutlaws.com if you want to you hear that. I've even wearing the t-shirt today for, uh, for promotional purposes. Indeed. So That's been the cleanest shirt on the stack, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I know how that works. Okay, good. Well, uh, really interesting show today. I really enjoyed chatting with you a lot and uh, talking about uh, things that are close to me about uh, small doc and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we'll have a lot more interesting shows you just heard about. A lot of really cool people coming up. So, uh, you know, uh, have, feel free to join in and uh, we'll see you again next time on Floss Weekly. <laughs>